Welcome back to On the Ground, a podcast from the Mines at Hill City Baptist Church. I am here with Alex Klusterman, who's recovering himself. He's in recovery. We are minus one today, Rylan Auger, who will be sorely missed bringing the level contribution that he always does. But we're here to uh, discuss once again, and you know what I really want to talk about today because I never get tired of it. What? COVID-19. Oh yeah, let's do that. Um, so some listeners out there may have heard of it. Um, it's some kind of pandemic. Yeah, um, I heard something. Anyways, we haven't actually specifically talked about it yet on uh, in our podcast, so we're going to do that today. So, what are your thoughts, Mr. Klusterman? Well, um, have you been enjoying quarantine? Let's start with that. <laughs> no. Okay. Although I have to say that I have had it better than most people probably. Uh, we have a we have a safe, nice home with a enclosed backyard for the children to play in. We we live near a park and. Uh, you know, I have a loving wife and great kids, so we've we have had it a bit as good as you can. Mm. But no, I haven't been enjoying physically. It. Yeah, yeah, physically. Um, I'm really tired of Zoom meetings, mm. so I'm thankful for the the technological opportunities we have. Um, they've been a gift. I can't imagine going three months without not seeing anyone in any way. Uh, but yeah, I'm really thankful that we're able to meet this Sunday. Uh, for listeners who don't yes, know, probably everyone blessing. knows, but yeah, the government announced that we are permitted to meet again, uh, albeit with the 30% building capacity um, attendance limit, which is for us is doesn't really mean anything because our capacity at 30% is still like 220 people far more than you would uh far more than would normally show up. So um yeah, I'm eager to meet this Sunday with the people of God and um not preach to a camera. Yeah, not preach to a camera. I'm really sick of that. I have to tell you the first couple of weeks it was kind of a novelty. Um, you know, learning myself, having to take over a lot of these skills. I'm, I have like an inner geek to me that it kind of became a bit of a hobby and I do enjoy it. Probably, I, or I'll say I don't hate it as much as a lot of pastors perhaps, but it's become really draining. So yeah, no, I'm excited to get back to the swing of things and uh, it, it feels like a long time coming. Mm. Uh, sorry, I should have done this right at the beginning, but Malachi McCavney is here mm -hmm. as always yeah. uh, with his great hair. So thanks for coming, Malachi. And yeah, shout out to Emily for that. Yeah. Oh, did she cut your hair? Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, I need Mike to get my hair cut tonight. Have you had your hair cut in three months? No. It doesn't look bad. It doesn't look good. But for three months. Yeah. See, I mean, I have no hair. So I just like buzz it every two weeks and I'm good. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's funny. I know someone, a family member who like, they're pretty... They got their hair cut done by a family member and they seemed not too pleased with it. And it was like the next day that they announced that the barber shops are opening <laughs> oh, up. Yeah. I just felt like that's, that's too that's great, too bad. Yeah. 
All right. Well, um, as we're thinking through, you know, we've had a lot of conversations uh, with each other and with others. Um, so some of this might be a review for some lif- uh, listeners. Uh, we, you preached last week on some principles to keep in mind mm-hmm. uh, with these kind of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe let's revisit some of those yeah. uh, principles. Um, what do you see kind of are some important things we need to keep in mind uh, as Christians, as citizens, um, as humans yeah. uh, in, in thinking through um, kind of the issues surrounding COVID? Yeah, so last week um, I preached basically wanting to discuss um, postures and uh, principles that we need to keep in mind. And both of those things are important, um, biblical postures and positions in a time of crisis. And so one of the more discouraging and concerning um, and depressing things about the last three months has been the revealing of the heart of society. And um, basically, this is nothing new, but what a crisis does is it exposes kind of the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we relate to one another, the way that we really truly view other people and view ourselves and, you know, our fundamental beliefs basically are exposed. And if you look at the recent uh, way the conversation surrounding race has happened, is happening, if you look at the way um, not only the government and health officials, but citizens have responded uh, to to COVID-19, um, it's been very discouraging and very concerning and very revealing. You know, basically, we are not in a good spot by we, I mean our culture, uh, North American culture more broadly, but even just Canadian Canadian culture and even Christians, sadly. Um, it's come out that a lot of Christians don't think and act as Christians. And uh, when our comfort is gone and when we face things that are fearful, um, you know, that reveals where we're really at. So I... The most important thing, well, I shouldn't say most important, our principles are important, but so often our principles are impacted by our postures, the the attitudes of our heart and, um, you know, patterns of thought uh, that we adopt. And if you look at this time, I mean, it's characterized by reactionism, uh, you know, not thoughtfulness, not nuance, not precision in thinking, not considering all the information, it's just you hear one thing and you react um, by reductionisms, right? Uh, leaving no room for for meaningful conversation, um, caricaturing people. I mean, you know, it's kind of like if you have a question about a certain policy, you know, you must hate your neighbor. These kinds of things um, are just ignorant shallow and unchristian ways of thinking but it's the way we've been thinking for a long time right it's the way you the way we've been thinking for a long time and when a crisis hits it kind of just comes to the surface so as christians we ought to be marked by thoughtfulness carefulness slow to 
speak and quick to listen, a love for our neighbor to not bear false witness about people, to not lie about them and their motives and intentions, um, you know, to be to tame our tongues and to consider others more highly than ourselves, to not be driven by fear. Like these are fundamental things um, that are sadly lacking. Just on, you just briefly mentioned it there, but um, what what do you think is at the heart of of those kind of um, those reactions? Um, like, uh, Bible talks about um, the words coming out of our mouth. Uh, a man speaks out of the treasure of his heart. Yeah, and um, what we're seeing, as you alluded to, is is um, Christians not treasuring the word of God as we're supposed to, um, but there are other, other things seem to be encroaching for uh, our affections and, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, what do you think are some things that are Yeah, well, that's, a, I that. mean, it's an important point that the way that we react and the things that we say are not coming from just our minds. They're not, they're not just the, the reasoned responses and the variety of responses is just an indication that we think about things differently. It is that, but it's much more than that. And what we're seeing is, uh, in one sense, one of the things we're seeing is a large response to fear. I mean, fear is an enemy of faithfulness in Scripture, and we are commanded to be faithful and to not give in to our fears. We're commanded to not fear more than any command in the Bible. And the reason is not just for the therapeutic benefit to ourselves, although there is a great benefit to not living in fear, but because fear is the enemy of faithfulness, because instead of considering others, instead of hearing the voice of God and obeying it, you become dominated by what you are afraid of. It becomes the ultimate reality in your life and not God. And instead of self-giving for the sake of others, self-preservation becomes the dominant mode of existence. And um, this is why we speak quickly. We don't listen. We say, oh, I'm afraid of that. What are they saying? What are they not saying? It's like, well, listen to what they're saying, right? Um, fear becomes blinding. It becomes the bias, the lens over everything that, that we interpret everything through and by. And it's dangerous. And, um, you know, our in our therapeutic culture, we tend to validate our fears, Right, I mean, the way that you used to deal with fear is by facing it. <laughs> now you avoid it, right? Trigger warnings and and uh, oh, that makes me anxious. It's like that may be true, but we know um, we know that the way to deal with anxiety actually isn't to avoid all situations that make you anxious. That actually doesn't help you. It perpetuates the problem. Um, but the way to deal with anxiety is is by fundamentally looking to God and in faith facing those things. But when we're driven and motivated by fear, um, fear of being responsible, fear of being blamed, fear of looking bad, fear of being hurt or harmed, whatever it is, uh, we become irrational. And the danger, just to close that thought, is that fear always posits itself as reasonable. And fearful people think fearful responses are entirely reasonable because it plays to their fears, right? If we just do this, we'll be totally safe. Oh, we must, we, then we need to do that. It's like, well, will we be safe? And is that, you know, is total safety 
possible and yeah and and the sting the the sting of of fear uh is definitely in its its irrationality uh it also manifests maybe its worst face in 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 uh being an obstacle toward uh for our obedience yeah um you know we're we're expressly told in the scriptures uh, not to fear those mm-hmm. who can kill the body, and 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 we're told that because when we do fear those who can kill the body, um, well, uh, toss away discipleship. Yeah. Um, because being following Christ, putting ourselves in the way of, of the path uh, of His path doesn't lead, as John Piper says, towards the suburb of the suburbs of Jerusalem, leads yeah. towards the hill of Golgotha. Mm. And um and that is and that and that is for Christians, you know, the worst possible thing to mm. be prevented from from following in the footsteps of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh and that is really what we're seeing, I think, is is people paralyzed by fear and and not doing I think we can all kind of identify with that. What maybe we know we should be doing, um, just because that's just such a prison. Um, on that on that subject, um, well, you know what? It's kind of a non sequitur. It's not really on that at all. But something we wanted to address is is the, um, you know, as we've become acclimatized to meeting through technology, um, and 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 in some ways that's become easy. And efficient, you know, have a Zoom meeting, and you don't have to leave your home, and all that stuff. Um, I think at least some people are are wondering why it is that we have to meet back at all. Um, yeah. You know, if we can if we can do at least on the surface the same things that we've been doing in the past, you know, hearing, preaching, and having some kind of meeting, why can't we just keep doing that even when we're allowed to meet back up? Yeah. So the the short answer is we can't keep doing what we did in the past through Zoom. And there's two there's two uh fatal errors here. And one of them is a profoundly reductionistic and therefore dehumanizing view of people um that does not understand the place the ne- not just the the place or the benefit but the absolute necessity as human beings, of meeting face-to-face. So our view of humanity, what our needs are, and therefore what is essential, has changed. Um, And so when you bring up meeting together, it's like, well, if I can see you and hear you, we are meeting together. And we may acknowledge, of course, it's not as good as being in person. But it's not necessary to be in person. Um. And the second th- reason that this is perpetuated, and sadly in the church, is most people don't function on principle. They function on pragmatic. So they don't think about the reason we do things, the why beneath things. And so when someone says something like, but I can see and hear you, uh, what's the difference? A certain kind of person goes, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, so part of what our pushback needs to be as a church, and it's just as Christians, is, okay, the human has more needs than physical needs. And we would even say the human has more physical needs than even freedom from a virus. So it's not even like freedom from 
viruses and sickness is the only human need. Even if you adopt a materialist view of things, humanity has more needs than that. Uh, but we know as Christians that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from above, and um, that we actually are sustained uh, by God's word. Um, John in his epistle, Second uh, John, says in verse 12, basically that he has more to say and he doesn't want to write with paper and ink, with pen and ink rather, um, but rather that he wants to see them face to face, that his joy may be complete. Well, and I'm going to preach through this on Sunday, but here we have him, think about it, he's writing scripture, the word of God. It is a mediated um, form of communication that he's not directly with them. He's speaking to them through the written form of communication. And that's valid because it's it's scripture. And yet he says, even writing scripture, that he'd prefer to not keep writing scripture and see them face to face because without seeing them face to face is a measure of joy that he cannot attain. Think about that. The written word of God is not enough in that sense. So, um, I think Christians just don't have a category for that. And we've been living in this soup of, of a, a reductionistic view of humanity for a long time now, 100 years, 120, 130 years, um, that we don't understand what is the value of social interaction and why do we do this. So, it's worth noting that um, two things in the Bible were commanded not to neglect meeting together, and we're told to encourage one another daily so that we can avoid the deceitfulness of sin, that there is a survival mechanism of meeting together. The early church says that they met together daily. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And if you say something like, well, that was then, this is now, you just betray your ignorance of the situation, that um, meeting together was not... Um, regularly devoting themselves to, to people who were would become, you know, outlawed, uh, was never a safe proposition. And if the church and the Bible has always met together, despite the fact of being prohibited by the government, and despite the fact of facing dangerous plagues, um, far worse than the one we experienced, we should ask ourselves, why exactly did the church close its doors? And there may be a valid reason. That's a good conversation to have. But what you have to acknowledge is that you are the anomaly. We are the anomaly. Uh, there's no example in scripture of that. Um, there's no example in church history. This was the, this is, this Easter was the first time in the history of the church, that pretty much the global church did not attend worship. And if you think that's because it's the first time that the government has said you can't meet. I mean, you're, you're naive to the point of culpability. If you think it's the first time that there's been a dangerous plague, which this is not a plague, um, you know, you need to get out a little bit more. Now, on that, we, uh, you know, we did when when the directive went out that you know uh, meetings of more than five people should cease 
uh, we as a church uh, stopped meeting. Yeah, we were one of the first churches to do that. Um, so, um, you know, we, over the course of the past few weeks, I mean, thank God the, the you know, churches are allowed to open now, but there was a point at which um, we weren't sure when that was going to happen mm-hmm. or if it was going to happen anytime soon. And we're going to go ahead to some extent anyway. Uh, so it seems like through that time, um, we we kind of uh, realized the importance of, of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some factors um, contributing to kind of our delay on that for anyone who might be interested? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, should, and that's a good point because... This is a this is something one of the most purifying things in the history of the church is conflict. So when you look at the creeds and confessions of the church, they were not born out of theologians, you know, sitting around on their sofas thinking I had an idea. They're born out of controversies. Someone teaches something about the nature of Christ and the Godhead and the Trinity and people go, "Wait a second. That's not right." And they talk about it and they discuss it sometimes for hundred years before they land on it. Um, uh, you know, so part of it is you're just, you're just blind to your weaknesses. You're blind to your weak spots and you have assumptions that you don't even realize you have. And then a situation happens and you just act out of those assumptions and those beliefs. And you look back and realize, okay, that was not right. So I'll just say right off the bat, I would have, I would still stand by, um, you know, a measured restriction in light of the fact that we don't know what this is. And I think everyone agrees with this. Everyone I've talked to, I haven't read anyone who disagrees. Look, what they're saying is this could be cataclysmic and and it's the kind of thing that if it actually gets to that point, what if you haven't stopped it, there's no stopping it. So because of the nature of the threat, the potential of the threat, it's reasonable to say, let's go with people who know what we don't know, and let's temporarily and voluntarily um, suspend things. So nothing I'm saying contradicts that, and I don't think we made a bad decision in that regard. But as time goes on, the narrative actually changes, right? The narrative doesn't is not just we need information, this could be bad. The narrative changes from let's flatten the curve. Okay, well, we have flattened the curve, you know, and then it just keeps changing. And and on top of that, this isn't really about the information. I actually um, read an article about someone who I knew for many years and many people in our city knew who died. And he had severe mental health issues. And one of the coping mechanisms for that, which is very healthy and very good, is to be in public and to be amongst community and amongst people. And in this time, he was confined to whatever, you know, hole he lived in. And I just had this horrific feeling and this conviction and this realization that the whole narrative of stay home, stay safe is is profoundly misleading and actually very dangerous. If being at home is safe for you, it means you have a certain measure of privilege, which is fine, and praise the Lord for that, that a lot of people don't enjoy. When we were told to stay home, um, for that man, it was 
potentially a death sentence. And that is in no way rhetoric. That is not inflammatory. That is not embellished to any degree. So I was talking with someone today. I, you know, I don't need to say Hugh, but, you know, has had a horrible three months and literally, you know, came close to death. And, and again, you might say, well, it was worth the risk and that's fine. You can have that conversation. But what you can't stay is, is staying home is safe for everyone. That is not true. That's not a fact. That's actually a lie. So that happened to me. So I started thinking about this. I'm like, this is dangerous for people. People are hurting. People are suffering. And then I just started to think more about, as a pastor, like, am I allowed to not care for people? And I started thinking, has this ever happened? Well, of course, plagues have happened in the history of the church. And even in the last century, you know, 30 million people wiped out in a short period of time. The church has dealt with this before. And you know, how was the church dealt before? And then what about, what do the scriptures say? And how did the early disciples deal with this? And just slowly coming to the dawning realization that, man, maybe we've just bought into a set of ideas and propositions that are just unbiblical. And uh, maybe we've been forced into a narrative that we don't need to. Maybe you can actually care for people's health and safety and minister to people. Um and maybe we need to start thinking about that. Mm -hmm. So um, it was kind of, uh, no, that's, that's a good comment to make about, you know, where the church stands on things only being forged through conflict. It's, it's one thing to have theories about things, but when you're in the middle of a situation mm -hmm. and people, people's lives are on, on the line, it forces you to grapple with, those assumptions, assumptions, and compare them with what the scriptures say, and mm -hmm. look back in history and and what happened during during those periods. Um, we do constantly need to be refined, and and as as odd as it sounds, thank God for periods of 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 crisis mm -hmm. and refining for the church, because historically those have been the times when the church has been her strongest. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, as as odd as odd as it seems, I think we're going to come out of this as a church. Uh, those who are the church, yeah, uh, as stronger, yeah. Um, and I think we're going to see some air quote churches um, no longer being open. Yeah, um, you know, I think it, it's been a refining time in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Any other uh, any other principles uh, or things you know that have of kind of come to you over the past while that uh, are worth addressing before we kind of well the again? one of the big things is the the fallacy and the irrational thought that you can do away with all risk that is a modern assumption of privileged people who enjoy a measure of safety and freedom that most of the world doesn't currently and never has appreciated. And that's that's an enormous blessing. We should be thankful for that. But one of an article I read very early on published, you know, as a major public um publication. I forget which which one it was, but it was talking about the difference between how they're handling the pandemic in India and how they're handling it here. And they weren't talking about safety measures. I think in some places of the world, they've, they've taken, I mean, it's been far more lockdown and curfew and all this thing. He meant the psychological response of the people. 
People who live under the very real threat of death daily have a very different response to this. And that is not to say that we should be reckless. That is simply to say fearful people work from the assumption that you can alleviate your fears, all your fears. That's wrong. Um, That's actually a lie. It's irrational. It's unscientific. There's no way to validate it. Um, and a lot of people think that way. And it and the danger is that you start you start actually believing that and you impose things on yourself and others under that illusion um, that we can be perfectly safe from this if we only do this, if we can avoid the risk of this, if we only do this. That's very dangerous thinking. It's irrational thinking. It's it's immature thinking, but it seems to be like something we all think. But what if we just acknowledge that there's risk all the time, that there's disease all the time? And that doesn't at all mean in any way that you don't take particular precautions. And there's people who think that way, hear this and think I'm saying don't take precautions. And I just don't know what to say to those people because that's not what I'm saying. But we just need to get over the fact that life is risky and life goes on. And perhaps this is a wake-up call for the church. It's like, what does it mean to follow Jesus in a risky world? And um, I think a lot of people don't know that, what to do to that question. The other thing is, um, we have been following the mandate of the government in all of this, respectfully, submissively, Romans 13, as we ought to. That ought to be our posture. But we've also come to the conviction that there is a distinction morally between voluntarily deciding not to meet for worship, for which there are many reasons to not do that. You're sick, you know, you have an emergency come up. There's there's many reasons you choose not to attend worship. Um, you're a safe, like there is a, a safety risk, you know. And prohibiting absolutely any and all gathering of Christians, those are two morally distinct categories. Um, once you can make that distinction in your mind, you have to ask yourself, does the Bible allow us to voluntarily um, neglect meeting together? Yes, it does. Does the Bible allow us to prohibit absolutely under all and every circumstances meeting together to worship people um, with any, you know, and you could have all the restrictions, whatever in place. Does the Bible ever allow for that? No, it doesn't. There's nowhere in the scripture that allows for that. The Bible actually tells us, do not neglect meeting together, as some have done, but even more so as the day dawns. And that actually is speaking to people who it's dangerous to meet together, who it's, it, there's physical dangers, um, health dangers um, associated with that. And the worldwide church has never interpreted that verse to mean you can neglect meeting together. So, it's one thing to say people have the choice not to for a variety of reasons. Concern for your physical safety is definitely one of those. Um, but to say that a, no one is allowed to make that meeting possible is an entirely different thing. And that'll be the first time in the history of the worldwide church that we've interpreted that way. So I think we should be cautious and humble at that point. Um, if we've learned something that no one has believed over any period of time and culture, we should think about it. So, yeah, we're never, we're, we're, we're not 
you know, prohibiting the gathering of God's people ever again. The Bible doesn't allow for that. And uh, if it comes down to obeying God rather than man, we obey God. And people can make up their own minds, and that's a voluntary thing. And people, there are many valid reasons not to, and a church should be gracious and patient. But no one, no elder, no church member, no government, no man has the authority to contradict and disobey God. Mm. Yeah, it's certainly uh, a demonstration of arrogance to assume that, you know, if, if we're the first people and, and culture to think of something, then that must mean the entire history of the world has been wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just betrays something uh, very arrogant in us. Um, anyways, yeah. Well, we hope that's that's kind of been some some helpful things for anyone listening to think about. Uh, it's a big it's a big topic, um, but again, the 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 Word of God is is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Uh, the church is a gift from God that we just we can't neglect. We need to to meet together to exhort one another, to encourage one another, uh, to hear the Word of God, to participate in remembering His crucifixion and the Lord's Supper. There's just so many things that these are God's means for our sanctification, mm-hmm. and we neglect them at our own peril. So, um, we, I, I mean, we're really looking forward to meeting together on Sunday. Yeah, praise God. Uh, it's going to have a bit of um, a different feel to it. There'll be some... some uh, um, happy tears. Happy tears. There'll be some uh, some different... Oh, I don't even know what to call it. Measures in place? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. There's going to be measures in but place. But that will be... That'll come out later. Yeah. Uh, you'll hear about that. Uh, it, again, uh, if you have any questions, comments, um, ideas for further conversations, feel free to get in touch with us. Our website is hillcitybaptist.com. You can feel free to give uh, me an email, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Mm-hmm.